0: Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Paselli is with me today. He is the president and founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty, its executive director, will be with us later in the show. We have a limited time with our special guest today, so we're going to dive straight into the episode. Uh, We're talking today to Representative Mike Quigley. He's the House member elected from the 5th Congressional District of Illinois, which includes my favorite city in the U.S., Chicago. He's also the chairman of the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Financial Services and General Government. The topic is cockfighting. It's illegal now in all 50 states, felony in 40, but that doesn't mean that U.S. citizens still don't play a role in this terrible blood sport. Currently, the U.S. Postal Service is shipping thousands of roosters out of the States to be used in fights in places such as Puerto Rico, American Samoa, and Guam, uh, which received more than 10,000 birds from U.S. shippers over the last four years. Representative Quigley wants that practice to stop and is taking a leadership role in doing so. So uh, uh, I asked you earlier if I could call you, Mike. I'm going to take advantage of that liberty and say, Mike. That, that, this seems kind of like an unusual uh, focus for a guy from Chicago. What, what turned you on to this as an important issue?
1: Look, animal cruelty is animal cruelty. Unfortunately, we find it in all segments of our society, in all areas of our country and across the world. So, you know, when we learned about the mail, mailing of uh, animals for fighting, you know, we wanted to see what we could do to help. So it's interesting, you know, once you get involved on some of, some of the animal wellness issues, uh, people find you uh you know 2020 uh, a group of french bulldogs were shipped illegally uh to the united states uh and they ended up at a at a warehouse near o'hare and a chicago police officer found them near death in horrible conditions uh we were able to <laughs> advocate very strongly not to ship these poor puppies back uh and th- they went to an extraordinary organization in Chicago, uh, paws which uh, nursed them back to life. I think the eldest of them, if there is uh, an eldest in a uh, in a group like that, they they named Quigley. So, as I said, once you become involved in these issues, it's a it's a labor of love. But people tend to find you about other ones like animal fighting. Sure. Late last year, you you were one of the authors of a letter to the Postal Inspectors Office. Um,
0: talk about that letter. What you hope it will do, or or would have done by now, and and give us sure. the lay of the land on that communication.
1: Yeah, you know, and you touched on it, I think, accurately early on. You know, uh, this is illegal. Uh, in two thousand two, the U.S. outlawed any state, interstate, or foreign transport of animals for fighting purposes. Uh, Congress made this a felony in 2007 and 2019. And in that year, we extended it to include the territories of Puerto Rico and Guam. And as you, again, mentioned, for very good reason. Unfortunately, places like Guam, uh, it's incredibly common. So it it ought to be as disturbing as recognizing that cockfighting still takes place that you would transport these, these poor animals and in a box over long distances without food and water you know only to meet this horrible end at the end so we wanted to do what we could to make that less uh, uh possible and the one way to do that is to make sure the the post office begins to inspect this uh and we, we think usps has an obligation to follow up so you're right we sent a letter with uh, nancy mace from south carolina calling on usps to Uh, try to do a better job of enforcing our laws that ban the transporting of these animals. Um, as 8,000 miles, some of them travel toward this end. So, um, you know, we're going to follow up uh, with the USPS on this on an ongoing basis as we have, see if they'll step up their inspections and that they have the resources they need to make sure this doesn't happen. Part of that, as we do in the follow-up, it's going to be working with uh, prosecutors to make sure that uh, people know that there's that this is a felony and there will be punishment if they do this.
0: Mike, I, I this is grim, but a couple of years ago I, I had to mail the cremated remains of someone, and I couldn't believe how difficult that was. How in the world can that be so hard? And someone just drop off a box of chickens and just send them send them through
1: the mail. Yeah, you know, it's surprising in that the way packaging is done, apparently, uh, what seems obvious can be disguised. Um, where there's a will, sadly and unfortunately, there's a way. And if once you've decided that uh, you're going to break the law, um, the humanity of it doesn't seem to matter. So, you know, exactly, I would think that it would be extremely difficult to do this. But uh, in the final analysis, you know, I think stepped up inspections will help you know, there are ways for the inspectors to determine that there are live animals within these spots. It's going to take resources. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take follow-up. And, and once some arrests are made again, that, you know, they're going to have to enforce enforce these laws rather strongly. We're also hoping that the word will get out ahead of time. Uh, as we begin to, you know, as we start in the new year, Uh, that will further discourage this. Uh, I think the other element of this might be the fact that, you know, with COVID, uh, mail delivery a regular mail that, you know, looks like a typical eight and a half by 11, it decreased about 40%. Uh, But package deliveries increased, you know, at least 120%. So that sheer volume alone, to to get to your point as well, uh, makes it even more difficult, Uh, a little little more needle in the haystack. But we think with additional resources, they can get the job done.
0: Now, this is, uh, I probably should know the answer to this question, so I'll just confess my ignorance. What would prevent these shippers from going to FedEx or UPS?
2: Yeah, this is Wayne Paselli, and I I wanted to just chime in on that. Many of the of the overnight delivery service, do not allow the shipment of live animals. It's really the postal service that historically has been involved, and it's an amazing practice, you know, for agriculture even that baby chicks are kept in cardboard boxes. We hear from postal service workers that they arrive at the postal service crushed, and you know, these are little baby chicks that need <laughs> nourishment. Uh, it is astonishing that the fighting birds; these are adult roosters as Congressman Quigley said, are shipped as far as 8,000 miles. Our animal wellness action investigation into this found the top five states shipping to Guam where Oklahoma was number one, California two, Alabama was three, Tennessee was four, and North Carolina five. Now that's more than 8,000 miles, but it's also multiple stops. I mean, if you're leaving from the Raleigh-Durham airport, maybe you're going to get to chicago and then you're going to get to la and then you're going to get to honolulu and then you're going to get another eight hours to guam i mean it's a miracle and the guam veterinarian when i talked to him early in this said it's amazing that they they land there alive no food no water often on a multi-day journey and sometimes if they get hung up because of a holiday you know they could be in transport for four or five days
1: yeah, you know, and your work was appreciated on this, and an impetus for the the efforts here. So we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would suggest that while the other services uh, don't allow this, um, uh, again, where there's an illegal intent, there's sometimes a way. <clears throat> so our vigilance there matters. And you raise another good point. There is this uh, until COVID again. Until you uh, brought this to our attention, we had no idea there was a long list of animals that you can ship by mail. And mm. so uh, don't think we aren't looking at that. Uh, we wanted to touch on this one first because of the urgency and the profound ugliness uh, of the nature of the purpose. Yeah, so, uh, so it, Go ahead, yeah. Wayne. I'm sorry.
2: No, I was just going to say, I mean, absolutely. You know, the animal welfare act and you Congressman Quigley, you know, supported all of these efforts to upgrade our animal fighting laws there's an explicit prohibition about forbidding the use of of fighting animals for use in the mails so you've got them dead to rights if you will in terms of the yeah. people who are sending these animals both the shipper and the receiver so i do i'm very glad to hear though that you're looking at this larger issue of live animal transport because you know who's monitoring this you know during the shipping process and also at the other end, it's really problematic essentially to abandon animals. And that's really what happened with those French bulldogs that you saved as well, that yet you know, came from Russia. I mean, so foreign puppy mills shipping dogs like French bulldogs into the United States, and who's monitoring them on the other end? I mean, you know, you just don't know if someone's going to fulfill their responsibility to pick up these animals, but a lot can happen during the transport process itself.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of those animals are in puppy mills that you mentioned. It's a good time and a good opportunity to, to uh, preach to the choir with all due respect, to remind folks, puppy mills, really bad idea, foreign puppy mills, horrible idea beyond comprehension. As you know, <coughs> there is a, a ban now on the import period uh, that was recently put in place. At some point, they're going to probably open up that spigot again. <coughs> We have to be very mindful, but again, educating the public as to what's happening. That I mean, the bulldogs that were sent to Chicago were just one example, and uh, you know, it was done illegally. Their vaccinations had been falsified. So uh, know what you're getting here. Uh, and I'm looking across the room at a a, a shelter puppy who <laughs> oh, is, uh, every bit as cute and loving as any animal you can get from uh, any breeder. God bless breeders. If that's what you want to do, make sure they're reputable, but there's no way in the world you can know if they're reputable if you're bringing them in through uh, Russia, Ukraine, um, Jordan, and some of the other places that we're hearing about. So please, I uh, just tell your, uh, your viewers, spread that word as well. It's a lot easier to uh, stop this spigot before it goes and, you know, before we have to have inspectors come out or deal with uh, some of the problems we have with uh, tra- uh transporting at airports as well
2: well we had tried in the 2008 farm bill and got an amendment passed to ban the resale of dogs under six months of age into the united states from foreign markets that was an anti-puppy mill bill but usda has not been enforcing it and interpreted resale to be a second sale and I, I think that, again, the Congress made its views plain on this issue. And we really should forbid these, these uh, puppy mill imports permanently from these countries. As you noted, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has temporarily stopped it for, for a variety of reasons. But uh, we'll need to revisit this perhaps when the Farm Bill comes up next year. And, sure, and Durbin, if they
1: open the spigot, there's a lot of other things to do uh, if we're stuck with that. We can't have what happened to the French bulldogs at O'Hare happen again. And now in New York, there's a place, these dogs were stuck in a warehouse. In New York, there is a facility that knows how to treat them. Um, you know, we were lucky to have a great place like Paws in Chicago. But, uh, you know, I think unfortunately what we need is uh, places that are approved at all our major international airports. So no dog has to go through the hell that they did. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mike, thank you for, for that. I want to make sure that, that I touch on a couple of other things. The Big Cat Public Safety Act. This yes. is also something you're involved with. Uh, what's your involvement with that? And what do you hope to see happen this year?
1: Well, we're the author and sponsor of that legislation. You know, And again, I'm preaching to the choir to an extent, but we're you know, trying to help to encourage the choir to talk to others who aren't in the choir and to engage their lawmakers to support this. Particularly senators, all right? Because we're close on this. Uh, obviously, uh, lions and tigers and cougars and other dangerous cats—they aren't house pets. But there are some people who have that uh, extraordinary belief that they are. And as a result, it's, it's inhumane for the cats. It's extremely cruel. There, you know, there are pictures. You go online, you can see. Uh, a police officer responded to a call in New York City and there's a, t- a picture of a tiger at the window, right? I mean, keeping a tiger in a small apartment in New York. Uh, but you also see uh, what happens when these animals get loose. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that our first responders are involved with this and supportive of it. These poor cats get loose. They're a danger to them to other people. They're a danger to law enforcement, who's often the first to respond to it. But you also see that uh, when the animals get, you know, getting back to the humanity issues, when they get too big or cost too much or too difficult to keep, uh, sometimes people, you know, injure them or get rid of them. And it's uh, a terrible sense there. So the law basically outlaws the private possession of big cats like lions, tigers and panthers, uh, except at highly qualified facilities that can safely and, uh, humanely care for them. Uh, anyone who already owns a big cat would have to be required to register them. It also prohibits the breeding of any big cats outside of these accredited zoos, research, or educational facilities, uh, to take, to take care of them appropriately. So I don't see uh, too many that,
0: photos anymore of these, but for a while they were rather in vogue and that's the petting, uh, the, tiger cub petting. Yeah. And you think, gosh, what could be harmful about giving a tiger cub some love, but, but that kind of activity leads directly to the abuse of the adults, even the cubs. Am I, am I right on that, Wayne? Am I saying that correctly? Oh yeah. I mean, here's the thing.
2: And, and Carson Quigley is the author of this bill. It's got more co-sponsors than any other animal welfare bill in the Congress. He's up to 253 co-sponsors. It's a bipartisan bill. We've got 50 Republican co-sponsors in the entire Democratic caucus. And this just builds, Congressman Quigley's bill builds on a 2003 statute called the Captive Wildlife Safety Act that bans interstate transport of big cats for the pet trade. Just like he's working to stop the interstate transport of dogs and birds for fighting, this is transporting animals for the pet trade who are the most powerful carnivores in the world. No reason to do this. But the other aspect of the bill, Joe, which you Which you mentioned rightly uh, is some of these roadside zoos breed the tigers and lions just to have kittens, and they're not—they can't really be handled according to USDA for the first few weeks, and then they can handle them basically for four weeks. And they get too big; they can bite a finger off, and then, of course, from there, they can—you know—take your head off. Uh, but for four weeks they breed them. And what it means is if a place wants to have cub petting where they sell tickets for 20 or 25 bucks to hold a tiger or a lion for, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, those cubs then have to be you know moved on, so they need a new supply of cubs, so they're breeding them over and over again, which creates a supply of big cats who then become discards and then animal welfare groups all across the country. Have to take them in for the next 19 or 20 years at perhaps a million dollars as an amortized cost for the organization. What a terrible expense for an absolutely minimal economic benefit for the handful of roadside zoos. So that's why you know Congressman Quigley's bill is important because it never turns out well for these tigers and lions and other big cats, but also it turns out terribly for the animal welfare groups who have to pick up the pieces.
1: And, and Wayne, as you know, sometimes when there's uh, no one takes up over these cats after they've been there, the discarded part often means they put them down. It's so good. My my little kids get to hold a tiger and appreciate nature. It's just the opposite. And it's uh, wholly inappropriate. It teaches the kids the wrong lessons anyway. Uh, but and the good news is this bill passed in the House in December of 2020 with strong bipartisan strong bipartisan support, Um, but it didn't get a vote in the Senate. We're close again. uh, I'm optimistic we're going to pass it out of the House again. There's a Senate version at the same time. In the end, the Tiger King series, I I couldn't watch it because it's hard for me to watch this kind of abuse, but it it brought a lot of attention here. Uh, So I'm hoping that uh, people will continue to pick up interest on this, particularly senators, with all due respect. Particularly Republican senators who aren't on the bill. We need their help to get to 60 and get this thing done.
2: This bill, Congressman quickly had, you know, before the tiger king phenomenon, but he's right. I mean, that whole phenomenon really thrust this issue into the consciousness of America. And what a no brainer. I mean, having a tiger as a pet, you know, we have dogs and cats who are domesticated over thousands of years. And here you have animals who can take down a water buffalo or an eland. I mean, these are powerful (laughs) animals. To have them in your basement or backyard is really astonishing. And uh, it's hard for me to believe that anyone could be on the other side of this. But Congressman Quigley and I have dealt with this for years that there's always some sort of rationalization that people have for their exploitation of animals. And uh, I think over time, we're breaking through and you know, we're so lucky to have Congressman Quigley fighting on this issue and so many others. Well, who
0: who's who's lobbying against this or who, who what kind of rational argument could be made against this act?
1: Well, there's well, a lot uh, of these businesses out there, <clears throat> yeah. some of them, you know, in the states that you would imagine. Um, and they have convinced some of their lawmakers that they are law abiding businesses and that this would put them out of work. Uh, so. So far, that the humanity side of it isn't lobbying, it's the profit <laughs> side of exploitation that's worked so far to, to stall this. Well, what's
2: been great is that the law enforcement community has swung behind your bill, uh, Congressman quickly, as you know, because you've been working with them, the National Sheriff's Association, the Paternal Otter Police, the National Animal Control Association. Law enforcement doesn't want to have to confront a tiger if there's a fire at someone's home and they're rushing in and there's a powerful animal there who's frightened and scared and they don't want to confront animals who are set loose, you know, or if they escape um, in the community. No one's trained in law enforcement to handle a, a 350-pound tiger who can jump 15 feet high and 30 feet, you know, laterally. That's an incredible animal, so difficult. And that's why, you know, the law enforcement when they are confronted with a terrible situation often have to shoot them much to their much to their dismay. And and uh, it saddens so many of them, you know, greatly to do it, but they don't feel they have a choice. And it's the people who have them for these reckless reasons who put law enforcement in a terrible
0: position. Let's move on then to the one Final thing on my agenda to discuss, and that is, uh, Mike, your your efforts to combat the potential <clears throat> emergence of a new zoonotic disease, an animal that crosses the animal human uh, membrane, if you will. What what's on your mind there, and what do you what do you have going
1: on? You know, it's a similar tandem. Uh, Wayne mentioned that the law enforcement community is behind the big cat bill, so I guess my thinking on both is. Uh, if we can't appeal to your heart, we can appeal to your brain. It's dangerous to have these large big cats in small confines. Uh, the same thing goes for the Preventing Future Pandemics Act. Um, if I can't appeal to your heart that it's wrong to treat animals this way, I, I appeal to your brain. And that's why preventing the pandemic part of this is in the title. It, it makes it the official foreign policy of the U.S. Uh, to work with state and non-state partners to shut down the commercial wildlife markets uh, in the trade and terrestrial wildlife for human consumption and and build international coalitions uh, to reduce the demand for wildlife as food. So uh, it's ambitious, but I will say for the reasons I mentioned, it has bipartisan support as well, and uh, we're trying to include it in some of the larger bills here that address some of the same issues.
0: Can you give us a sense for what how that specifically would play out? What types of behavior would be discouraged, what types <clears throat> encourage that would give this effect?
1: Well, it authorizes, just for a few examples, the USAID to work on reducing demand for consumption uh, of wildlife from the markets and support shifts to diversified alternative sources of food and protein and communities that rely upon that consumption of, that consumption of wildlife for food security, while ensuring the existing wildlife habitat isn't encroached upon or destroyed by the process it prohibits the import the export and sale of wildlife in the u.s again for purposes of human consumption it authorizes the hiring and international deployment of 50 new u.s fish and wildlife service law enforcement attaches in an effort to disrupt this trafficking uh, so it, it it gives a lot of resources to the effort and there's more to be done
2: well, listen. I mean, we all learned of what happened. Uh, it was almost certainly a live wildlife market in Wuhan that really launched the the pathogen, the, the virus, that then began to ricochet around the world. And how many trillions of dollars uh, did our world burn through in responding to this pandemic? And we said after the first SARS-CoV-2 crisis in two thousand two, two thousand three, that China. Should stop its live wildlife markets where they capture wild animals from the forests, you know, of, of other Asian countries or from from China itself. You know, have them in inhumane transport, so the animals are stressed. Then they're overcrowded, and they're alive, and they're interacting with people who are purchasing them. And then they're being butchered right there. So you can see this brew of blood and pus and all of the other you know life fluids. And this was a perfect place for the transmission of a zoonotic disease and 75 percent of all diseases that afflict people start in non-human animals they jump the species barrier so we knew that this was a threat it happened in, in in a way that was predictable but with virulence and and pacing in terms of spread across across the globe that no one could have foreseen I mean this is the biggest pandemic since the Spanish flu of 1918 and I'm amazed that the Congress, Hasn't taken this up yet. You know, here we have our masking strategies, our vaccination strategies, all all important. And all, but why don't we stop the next one from starting? So thank thank God, uh, you know, for for Congressman Quigley and then Congressman Fred Upton, who's his Republican partner on this. And then on the Senate side, Cory Booker, a Democrat in New Jersey, and John Cornyn from Texas. Here's a great bipartisan bill, and I really hope that the other lawmakers listen to them and get this thing passed because. What could be bigger for our society you know some people say oh well why do you care about animals well you know you can see the intersectionality of animal issues when you understand that it was live wildlife markets that probably launched this global pandemic
1: you know and a loose end here I, back to giving other people credit where they deserve uh, animal wellness deserves a ton of credit but my house uh, co-sponsor is Brian Fitzpatrick who's been a good friend on the big cat bill you know, on this, Wayne raises the, the ultimate point. It makes a lot more sense to stop the problem before it begins. And I, th- I think he outlined that this uh, measure attempts to do that. But we have to address why animals in, uh, in the wild and humans are getting closer. A big driver in that is climate change and deforestation and several other factors. <clears throat> you know, again, for those who tell us, you know, why do you care about this? You know, why, why are you a tree hugger? It's like, Everything's interconnected. Again, it's stunning that we have to continue to try to educate so many others. We're all interconnected. We all need each other. We all need uh, all all the species of the world, plant and animal. If we let our arrogance make us forget that, then then frankly, we're in We're in real peril. Very good. That's an excellent
0: last word. And with gratitude, I'll I'll certainly thank you, uh, Representative Mike Quigley from the Fifth District in Illinois. You've been a great guest. You're doing a lot of very powerful, interesting things. So it's been an honor to to talk to you. And Wayne, certainly always glad to be on the show uh, with you. Before we go, though, we want to make sure we touch base with Marty Irby, the spokesperson. Is it Ginkgo Balboa? One's the Explorer, and one's <laughs> Ginkgo Bilboa. I don't know, but but whatever memory over the counters, Marty must subscribe to the to them all because his memory is fantastic. Uh, what what is the legislative update for our listeners for this show, Mister Memory?
1: Yes.
3: Well, Joseph, thank you. We were so glad to have Congressman Mike Quigley on the podcast today. And I think the most important bill that we're working on is the Big Cat Public Safety Act that he is the leader of. You know, Carol Baskin, our good friend from Tiger King and Big Cat Rescue, who was on one of our previous episodes, was up here with us last week. We did about 25 meetings in person on Capitol Hill, had a tremendous response, and we now have 250 three co-sponsors on that legislation in the House, almost 50 co-sponsors in the U.S. Senate, including more than twice the number of Republicans we had in the previous Congress when it passed right at the end of the Congress through the House of Representatives, but didn't leave us much time to get the bill done in the Senate. So that's our number one priority for 2022. We're going to get that bill done and we have tons of support, National Sheriff's Association, Association of Zoos and Aquariums and all the animal groups out there. Secondly, the FDA Modernization Act, which is a new piece of legislation that makes animal testing at the FDA optional rather than a federal mandate that it currently stands under the 1938 law that's been there for 83 years. Most people don't realize that the federal government actually broke the federal law to develop the COVID-19 vaccines. They were not tested on animals and that brought this to light. Senator Rand Paul, your senator from Kentucky, along with Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, are leading that legislation in the Senate. And we have Congressman Vern Buchanan along with Congresswoman Nancy Mace and Congresswoman Elaine Luria leading that bipartisan effort in the House with now more than 40 co-sponsors equally split on both sides of the aisle. That legislation is huge. It's gaining support like we've never seen before. We've been working with PETA tons of biotech and pharma companies and we really see a path forward for that in this congress through a bill that has to move by september to reauthorize some of the user fees at fda those two are the two standalone bills that we believe can pass and get signed into law this year another bill that we've been working on that's a new original idea created by our good friend mr wayne Pacelli and our our colleague is the minks in narrowly kept spaces or minks our Super Spreaders Act. That bill is led by Congresswoman Rosa DeLara, the powerful chair of the House Appropriations Committee, and we think we have a play if we go into an appropriations package next month that funds through the next fiscal year. We're also working to get the Bear Protection Act passed that deals with the bear bowel and bear gallbladder issue. We have some great new co-sponsors on that bill in the House. Its counterpart, the newly renamed bear poaching elimination act was also just co-sponsored by senator lindsey graham of south carolina so we've got a lot of momentum on that bill those four are likely the ones that we can get passed, whether it be standalone attacked to something else or in appropriations we still continue to work on the greyhound protection act our great friends at grey tk have done a tremendous job almost 90 co-sponsors on that bill the animal cruelty enforcement act the kangaroo protection act the safe act and the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act. But those bills actually have a long way to go, quite truthfully. We've got problems, whether it be from industry or from specific members of Congress that have been opposing them. And we've got to get over those hurdles to get those bills done. We're going to get two more bills introduced this year, the Rome Act, Restoring Our American Mustangs Act, that addresses the wild horse issue, and the PIGS Act, or Pigs in Gestation Stalls Act, that deals with the confinement of factory farmed pork. So we've got a full plate ahead of us for 2022. We're going to keep working. And in addition to that, just to add one more point, this week we filed a huge lawsuit together with the Wild Horse Education and kind foundation to stop the terrible, terrible roundups that are going on in Nevada that the Bureau of Land Management has started on and have horses dying, foals dying during the roundups from helicopter chases. So we're hoping we get some action. I know that's not a legislative item, but it is something that is very important to our organization and the cause in the courts. And we appreciate everyone out there who has been supporting us. And thank you all for continuing to stick with us and help the animals
0: well, thank you, Marty, for a great update. I appreciate that. And and I want to thank our listeners too, before we sign off. Thank you for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit our website, animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we sure do ask you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I've been your host, Joseph Grove, and we will be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.